Hey everyone, welcome back and happy new year. This is another episode of The Next Stage and for this episode we had on world time trial champion, Ineos Grenadier rider, Rohan Dennis. This was such an awesome podcast. Sadly, we couldn't have Tyler on, but me and Rohan, I've known him since 2016. And so it was great to call him up and ask him to be on and be able to talk about the Giro d'Italia in October, to be able to talk about his career and you know how, what thoughts he would give and advice he would give to younger riders. And uh, he's such a great guy. So I hope you guys enjoy this podcast and yeah. Enjoy. Hey, my man. Hey, mate. How are you? So good. I'm so happy we could finally get this going again, and hopefully, <laughs> I think the technical oh, good. Issue, I think the technical issues were last time I were using I was using these uh, wireless headphones, and yeah. uh, they weren't like Apple. They were just like. Uh, some like knockoffs and yeah they were causing they because they were doing that for the rest of the week where i was dropping phone calls or pausing music out on rides or stuff like that so that was uh <laughs> i think that was the issue so i think i got that fixed now yeah all good no stress on my end yeah well happy new year man happy new year to you how how's it how's it been this you know Another day equals 2021, and all of a sudden, it's a new year. Yeah. Do you, well, do you feel so enlightened and feel like all the problems of 2020 have just disappeared with that one day moving forward? <laughs> I honestly, uh, I always laugh when people say, I, I want to do uh, a New Year's resolution. I um, right? uh it's honestly i actually forget what day it is most of the time let alone what year it is so um <laughs> it's I, uh it's something i don't really uh, i don't pay too much attention to obviously you always you always see some people grasp to the the idea that they can change themselves in a matter of minutes but um yeah i don't, i just don't i don't buy into it i i just sort of laugh about it and I, and go about my life the way I was the year before, unless I actually do need a change then, then, then I will. Uh, yeah. Then I'll start mid year if I feel like I need a change. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, yeah. Uh, it's never defined by one day of the year that I, I have to review myself and, and then try better myself. I, I sort of, our job has always been almost daily. What can we do better? That's I, I've had this conversation the last few days since the new year because like I as well have seen it kind of like I just find it funny just we, we celebrate so much and like people get so emotional about oh my gosh I just can't wait for this year to end I can't wait for this year to end but it's like again it's not over once this like the clock just strikes you know it's not like all those problems are just gone and you're like you're free it's not like you know it's and uh but i i think we see that see it that way because uh which just when you have a high i feel like sports background and that discipline to put in that training you realize that it's not about waiting till you know oh i'm going to wait till to train 
you know, January 1st this coming year. It's like, no, you're going to start now, like with whatever you can to just start now to get moving forward. And uh, like I said, I think it's kind of, you know, funny about it. But I also had this conversation with my dad and my dad's like an incredible optimist and really uh, positive. And he was like, well, the reason people get so amped up about it and everything is just view it as a sign of hope you know, a sign that they can change and a sign that, you know, okay, the year moved forward. So can I, you know, maybe I can move, but, uh, I, I find it interesting finding people, you know, people's, um, views, perspectives on that compared to riders or athletes views and perspectives, you know? Yeah. Like I, I actually even mid, I'm sure again, mid season this year, I'll start thinking about what I want to do next year. A hundred percent. So it's, it's sort of like, uh, I'll be planning for next year while I'm mid season this year, which seems a little bit stupid because this year isn't done yet. But at the same time, I'm thinking, well, uh, I wish I did that this year, but it's already gone. So maybe next year I'll do that. And this year I'll just keep going down the road that I'm doing. I'm going down this road. So like, that's the plan. And if, something shits the bed and I have to change the plan. You can so adapt. Be it. But maybe next year, let's go down this road and see if I did miss out. And if I didn't, then I'll go, oh, well, let's go back to the way I always did it. <laughs> so it's, I, I don't actually, yeah. I, 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 I just find it funny. That comes with you. good strategy. And I feel like with also good coaching, because once you kind of move up, you start planning more in years, you know, you're like, okay, but in two years, if we want to be at this type of rider, it's going to take two years to get there. Or if we want to yep. be at this level. And that's also the other thing is a lot of people view cycling as like, a lot of normal people view it as just like, oh, I can just go do it. You know, I've had, and it's like, no, you don't realize that it takes years on years on years and years. And then when the professionals even get there to the high end, it's about looking two years, three years down the road of how you can develop and get to there you know, while still setting the daily goals, you know, but also realizing that it's part of that daily process of laying that brick by brick foundation to your training to build for something that, you know, is towards the future, you know, example of the Olympics. Exactly. And actually, it it stems back to also something that really, really (laughs) pisses me off, to be honest with you. (laughs) What's that? What is it? Uh, when someone says to me or about anybody, oh, they just got more talent than me. Um, and that's why they're able to do that. Or that's why you're good at your sport. I can't do that. And, and I, I, I sometimes agree when it comes to certain sports, like, okay, swimming, it's, it's a body type. It's a certain amount of, amount of yeah. fat for muscle you float better in a guy who's six, seven is going to be better than a guy who's five six and swim you know well, then like... you also see that people who are more muscle dense don't float so as well obviously mm-hmm. so um you see a lot of swimmers they're not actually ripped so people who are naturally ripped and less body fat um they don't they're not as good as swimmers it doesn't matter how big or small you are but then there's cycling where that's why i love cycling is because there's guys who are six foot seven and there's guys who are five foot four and we're all competing in the same race. Mm -hmm. Um, And a lot of the time 
when people say to me or I hear them say it about other people, they're like, oh, they're just more talented, blah, blah, blah. And I, I point out that actually I'm no more talented. Yes, I am technically if you want to look at talent as I'm better than you now. But if you want to look back at what I've done since I was four, I've had to work at what I've got now. So when I was four, I started swimming. By the age of, uh, it was in 1997, um, it was the day that Princess Diana died. I started racing, swimming. Um, and by the age of 12, uh, I was doing 20 to 23 hours of training with school. Um, like, that's just stupid, right? But that At was age all... 12. Yeah, age 12 to 15, I was doing 20 to 23 hours a week. How? With school? With like... school. With school. So I was training before school and after. I was training seven days a week and or seven times a week. I always had Sunday off. Mm-hmm. Uh, and up until, from memory, up until I think it was 10 or 11, I was also playing soccer. Um, so it was, it was something that like schools, I suffered with, well, my school suffered, um, to a certain degree. And I just sort of was, like, I don't really care, but, um, it was the sacrifice from when I was started at four or five all the way until now. Uh, there was times when I'm, I, what you call spring break, um, in America, we call it schoolies in, in Australia where you finish year 12. I didn't go. I trained, I went, I went to competitions. I, I sacrificed um, parties. I still went to them, um, the old one, but it wasn't every weekend. It was once every four or five months I went to one um, on probably on average. So it was all sacrifice. And then my body adapted over years and years. And yeah, people see it as, oh, he's just got more talent. I trained hard. I, I worked hard, but it's all about, the year after year and not not just going, I'm going to change this year, coming back to the whole New Year's resolution, I'm going to change this year, I'm going to become professional or I'm going to lose 50 kilos of weight this year <laughs> um, uh, or whatever, whatever it is. Um, it just doesn't happen overnight. It's something that happens over a long period of time unless you just are someone, which is like my brother, he can just go cold turkey. Um, he can just stop drinking, stop smoking, stop um, doing uh, any sort of partying or anything um, and lose 35 kilo, go full raw vegan <laughs> within a day. Um, like massive, massive, um, uh, like, I would hate to do that, to be honest with you. I don't, I've never smoked. Like, I've had a cigar probably half a dozen times in my life. But imagine being a full-time smoker and then stopping. Don't eat McDonald's. Go raw vegan all in one day. Um, no more alcohol. Uh, the amount of the amount of hell he was probably going through. But there's certain people that can do that. But it's, oh, I reckon probably half percent of the world could probably do it. Um, and stick to it so yeah i i've met a few uh who were like kind of what you just said like maybe addicted to something and it took something stronger and bigger than themselves to instantly like you said just go to cold turkey where 
it was then easy for them because not maybe easy, but like uh, they had this. I don't know. Like a, they, they felt like a bad, bad experience. Say you went yeah. driving and you killed somebody. I'm never driving. Oh, totally. I'm never drinking again. Totally. Totally. There's, I mean, but it's, it, I love what you said. I mean, it's like you going a little bit farther back where, you know, people ask you like, Oh, you're, you're where you're at because you're so talented. Like you were just, it's like, and I love even more what you said where you're like, yeah, I'm more talented than you now. Like, of course, like all the work you put in from all those years, you've changed your body's, you know, uh, DNA structure and everything from just countless hours on the bike and countless, you know, study and learning and growing and putting that energy towards this, you know, craft. Uh, and I, think I, that's I, not- I, like, I do believe there are some people who are a disadvantage. There's- there's but, yeah there's there's disadvantage and there's but it's not i think the whole world likes to use it as a majority of the world likes to use it as a crutch most of the time where yeah. the people who really do have the disadvantage or the people who do it's you know you'll see those riders who instantly go up from the junior ranks or that are you're <clears> just like okay yeah but the issue is a lot of people will compare themselves to like the remcos or you know those people who just instantly go up and they'll think like, oh, man, like, I, I can't ever do that because it's just pure talent. And I totally, the more, you know, I, from training and racing and stuff, you realize, all right, daily training is what gets you your, you know, your outcome and your, your, your reward. And then when I switched that over to, you know, becoming an artist full time and spending, instead of spending hours out on the bike, I was spending six, seven hours in the studio every day. And you could just instantly see the progression of my work. And as the progression went up, so did the value, you know, so were the stuff. And it's like, it's funny. People are like, oh, I don't have an an artistic bone in my body. And it's like, well, if you go back and look at my old pieces, like, you know what I mean? They just, you get better the more you put into it. And it's so funny. The more I listen to other artists or athletes, it's always the same thing. It's just the daily practice. If you're an artist and you're, lacking inspiration you just still go out to the studio and still try to do something like just throw the paint on the canvas if you're a writer who's you know lack like you just find these other ways to uh but again i just it's it's a daily um craft that you're uh, fine-tuning you know yeah and that's why well, that's I, one who thing. knows what remco did as a eight-year-old yeah since he was yeah. eight like yeah. who like, like we all look at him and compare ourselves. Uh, um, and I know that there was things that I wasn't doing perfectly from the age of five onwards. I was eating sugar like it was going out of fashion, mate. I was, For sure. I was, I was you're, living you're on sugar. You're playing like, PlayStation. You're chilling. Oh, you're, mate, you're kicking was, it. Orange exactly. soda. He, like, he could have, like, his parents could have gone, no, mate, you are eating healthy. You are training you are going to prepare properly every single day. And it became routine for him. And that's it, why he's so good at 19. Did that, did, did you have any effects from seeing kind of that from having a kid yourself? Because I've, from having our daughter, we, you know, we meditate daily. We try to eat healthier, have green smoothie, this, this. And I figure if I can teach my daughter these 
healthy traits at this young age that, you know, I wasn't exposed to meditation at that age. Uh, yeah, meditation at that age or high end cycling at that age or, you know, activity or, you know, so I feel like what you just kind of said, like, who knows what those athletes were doing or their parents were doing at that age. And has that even affected you where you're like looking even farther in the future, even at your own kid and like, how can I apply this to make them better, you know, or learn from what I've learned to apply to them? Um, I really don't care if he rides a bike ever, um, to be honest with you. Um, uh, like, I, well, I agree healthy with, traits, like what I'm, you know, like, yeah, like healthy, healthy eating. We, um, we always give him his vegetables and, and whatnot. He generally, like, he will eat them one day and he won't eat them another day. Yeah. Um, but you just <laughs> come in the room. But um, it's, it's one of those things where I, uh, I, I feel like I still came up and turned out all right. Um, uh, and I don't, I don't see, like, I see that the way I was brought up was, I, I had a bit of a choice in, in what I wanted to do. Um, so it, I think giving him still that choice of does he want to have a lolly um does he want to which is candy in america uh does he does he want to have some chocolate today um that's fine i think um when it push comes to shove i i don't want to try and mold him into a better version of me when it comes to sport I'd, i'd rather if if he wants to do it then i'll help him uh, but until he can tell me I want to do this, then we'll just let him not roam free, but uh, we have a pretty structured life with him. Otherwise, we'll, I'll be pulling what hair I've got out um, uh, or left. Uh, so, yeah, I think in a way, yes, I, I, I want him to learn from us in a way that he's a better person than I was or am. Um, I don't know if you can hear him right now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he just closed the door to his room because I'm in his room. Um, uh, but yeah, he, uh, I think that's the best way in, in my opinion. I'm not, everyone's different, obviously. Um, mm-hmm. uh, but yeah, he, um, he's free to do whatever he wants. If he wants to be a bus driver um, and earned 10 grand a year, as long as he's happy. Uh, I couldn't give a rat what he does. Um, not that bus drivers are, that's what I'm trying to say. Bus drivers aren't lower on the, on the social standard for me or, or anything. Everyone needs a place in the world. And if that's what makes him happy, um, go for it, mate. Um, if that's... you want to be an astronaut, go for it. Uh, if you want to be, uh, I'm not going <laughs> to push him down the road of if you're happy being 300 kilos and, lying on your back um, i'll be like oh, i don't think that's real healthy mate um, stepping down twinkies just but yeah i think there's there's a certain point where i uh, don't think that's really great for you mate and i'll i'll try pull him away from it yeah but only if it's unhealthy um yeah as he grows up i think that's that's more of the way i'm going to parent um uh, yeah i feel like if he rides a bike it's uh it's not a bad thing 
Yeah. <laughs> it's just uh, it's a shit. lot. It's a lot of it's a lot and it's it's not safe. It's not it's what? it's not an easy thing to do. Um it's yeah, a I lot mean, of dedication. Dead well, and a lot of people just see kind of I mean, I hear this again all the time, like they just see the tour, they just watch the tour and see that kind of the glitz and glam I feel like of it on TV, but they don't see those, you know, those other smaller races that you're at 90%, you know, 99% of the time, or, you know, you getting, you know, your shit kicked in at this race in Belgium or like just suffering with the cold or, you know what, like all these other oh, things where it, you, it's, it's you know, living the dream. What are you talking about? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, I mean, but, I mean, that's one thing, like, uh, yeah, I, I feel like you were really good at when I, I was really nervous when I first met you at Tour of Britain, uh, you were going to be the leader there and everything, and I was stagiaring, and, uh, you know, I, I had no idea, you were just really high caliber rider, and you ended up being this person that was so down to earth and so chill and relaxed that it just was such a positive experience for me and uh a really just like uh then turned into a great friendship you know and it's like just have uh yeah loved having love having you know a lot we don't get to talk on the phone a lot but we'll message back and forth here and there some jokes here and there uh but i just think you're a really great role model for those younger athletes um how do you think your role has played with that now like do you do you see your do you do you real do you see that you have an like a positive impact like that with kind of the younger riders or you know like do you, do you kind of feel that that role model uh see the, because you're you're well, so yourself you're <clears throat> so yourself everyone well, else you weren't and this goes back like sorry to but no no it's okay. it, it this goes you weren't you raced the world championships unafraid and won like on unaf- you you were like they basically stripped you down i felt like and you're like it's i'll still win like i'll i'm here for a job and i'm gonna you know you were just so true to yourself and so true to what you were gonna do um and you've done that you know and I, like i said i've been lucky to see it firsthand and uh you know you, what's great as, as well as about you is that you don't just it's not just out there on the bike when you you're sitting down at the table with those younger riders. You're, you're the one joking around with them. You know, you're not thinking you're above or this hierarchy. And it's, uh, I would love to hear kind of your view of it now with your career. Like, so one thing I've always sort of thought was, um, I don't actually care who you are. Uh, and it, it sounds like there's obviously a little bit of, if I meet someone like, um uh the queen yeah the queen right i'll give her <laughs> right, I'll, I'll be a little bit I'll, I'll be nervous right let's just say i'll be nervous but and I'm, I'm still nervous when it comes to someone i don't know who's a young rider or like the kid up the road um i rode with a couple of times he's only what, 15 or something I, I don't i don't know what he's into or anything but i've always said that i like there's a certain amount of respect I'll give everybody from the first day, um, the first time I speak to them. And then depending on how 
they react to that and how they treat me from there um, is a rolling respect either up or down. Um, depending on, so obviously if someone's a bit of a dick one day, I'll, I'll be like, oh, that's, that's not great. Um, <laughs> that's not the great way to move. Um, but if the next day they're, they're back to normal and it was just an off date, I go, oh, they just obviously weren't, I was having a bad day or whatever. So I always, I always treat everybody with the same amount of respect. And then it's from there on. See, if the queen was an absolute dick to me constantly, <laughs> I'd be like, oh, you're a dick. <laughs> um, never met her. So I don't know what she's like, but that's the way I sort of, I look at it and it's, it, I've, I've never, I never looked at myself as a role model. Obviously, it's more and more noticeable nowadays that there are younger people who do look up and go, I, I, like, I get a lot of stuff on, on social media of young kids reaching out or whatnot. And I, honestly, I try to answer some of them. I do ignore a fair chunk of it because if I was replying to every single one of them, it would just be crazy. Um, but I feel like if I just give a little bit to someone, um, it might just spur them on to do something that they, they don't feel useless or like they're, um, nobody, if that makes sense. So it sort of gives them a bit of that hope that, oh, I'm not, I'm not a nobody to someone who's a professional, which was what was happening a lot. Obviously we were out of touch, um, or unreachable. When I was young, it wasn't easy to reach professionals from Australia. Uh, there was no Instagram when I was, what, 2005, six. Uh, there was Facebook, but they like, they're not going to bloody um, accept you and, and be friends with you on Facebook. What's this crap? So uh, I just felt like it's sometimes nice to, to give back a little bit, not, not give your full attention to everybody, but just a little bit every now and then to you know, make them feel all right and not, not, uh, like a nobody. So it's, that's the way I sort of, I try to be in. And sometimes it, it does take away a bit of time from obviously my own family, but it's just a, if I'm on Instagram and I get a, I get a message, I look through a request every now and then I see one and I, I just give them a little reply sort of thing. It's, it takes, yeah. it takes two minutes. But yeah, if that, if that, yeah, I, I can agree more, you know, I, uh, that's, I, I've done every message I'll get on Instagram. I'll always reply, always respond back to, because I always felt if someone's taking the time to write like a message or a comment, that's energy they're using. You know what I mean? Like that's mental energy they're using to take time to do that. So the least you can do is respond with a little bit of energy to, you know, and it's funny, like I will have done that, you know, kept in communication with someone. And then the next thing you know, it leads to this opportunity or this opportunity. And it's incredible to, you know, especially with me selling my art, that's, that's how it starts. Someone, yeah. who's, you know, Oh, wow. I love this piece. Oh, appreciate the love. You know? And it's like, it's like you kind of said a lot of writers or a lot of people usually will feel that oh i don't need a res i don't have time to respond i don't have time to do this this but it it's incredible the impact it has on people and honestly 
like you you said when you were younger and you tried to reach out to riders or you know someone you looked up to and they would have wrote back to you and said oh man hey thanks so much i appreciate it hey keep up the great work you know you would have lost your top man like it would have been like holy shit so (laughs) i I have a good story related like when i was younger uh I, i was super into baseball and my sister was living in new york at the time and we went to uh, the Yankees game because I'm a big Yankees fan. And at that time, it was Jeter, Giambi, uh, A-Rod, just awesome squad. And uh, we pull up to the back where they're, all the uh, uh, players come in. And you're going to love this. Giambi had like a 91 Porsche. Uh, <laughs> yep. So like, this is a classic. Uh, but A-Rod, Jeter, everyone walked by when I asked, like, hey, could I get a photo? Could I get a photo? And I was like eight years old at that time and Giambi stopped. And then from that day forward, I was a Giambi fan, like, you know, like crazy, you know, buying his jersey. And it's like Jeter and A-Rod were way far better players. But because Giambi took the time and I still have that photo, you know, and that that always, you know, anytime I was at a race or an event, I would always take the time to, you know, obviously you can't always do it with everyone, but as much as you can because you always think back when i think it's important if you can remember when you were that kid who looked up to well you know a here's, person here's like a question which which one of them had kids i don't know i don't know probably giambi honest i don't know if i i, I would uh, honestly uh, i never i never saw it as something that i thought was as important as i do now until i had my son so I always think, like, if he's standing somewhere and he's super excited, is the as a parent, you go, this is awesome. And then obviously if he was older, say, and able to, like, see something or, like, if he's into, if he's into baseball, if he's into um, racing cars or, or whatever, and he, he wants to get a photo with someone and they just snob him off and go, what a dick, right? Yeah. So um, I always, so I think it's become a little bit more of a, um, I've noticed that shit, that's actually something that does make a huge difference to, to young kids because mm-hmm. I've got a kid of my own now. It's like I did it before then, but it's become more apparent to me that it makes a big difference since then. So I would be, I'd be interested to see if, if Giambi, yeah had a kid or not or if the other guys didn't um that might be a huge reason why he stopped or or the others didn't um not because they're bad people uh, you just see the familiarity in it they can put their kid in your shoes and go ah i don't want my kid to be dogged like that one day yeah so true man so true that's yeah i I mean, that's, I just, like I said, I love how you give back that love because not a lot of people do. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it, I feel like, again, karma, it comes back to get you, I feel like, you know. So the more good you put out in the world, the better, you know, the environment's going to be and the better your future, I feel like, is going to be. Uh, speak, like, going on environments, you know, with, I had the opportunity <clears throat> to race with you on BMC, uh like good times good times yeah <laughs> yeah uh but uh 
then you went to Bahrain and then on to Ineos. Maybe, <laughs> yeah, what's the compare any okay, even before BMC, you were on Garmin. Yep. Uh, maybe talk about that progression. Talk about what you kind of went through as a rider to really, I feel like, chisel out where you want to be, you know, and really. I I feel like you've gone through team to team you've gone through different teams to know which direction you want to go and you start getting up there where all right you know what works for you you know what you're going to do so then you you apply that so maybe talk about your progression from Garmin to now if you can yeah, yeah so um well, with Garmin <clears throat> it was a um first of all it was so a it really, started right yeah in 2013 it was a really really rough start actually so um it was like oh, day three back on the bike i think it was late or like it was really early in my pre-season end of 2012 i broke my collarbone um and i was like ah oh, shit so from like i think it was the first week of october um I, I sort of, I was struggling from that point. I'm like, I've got to make sure I'm good for my, my first pro contract. I've got to make sure I'm good. I don't, I don't want to disappoint. So I was pushing, pushing, pushing um, to make sure I was fit for January and nationals and two down under. And then I got sick, like really sick. So I got um, viral meningitis and then oh, I didn't even start two down under. I did nationals, um, didn't do down under, and in my first race, I was at Strata Bianchi. Now, that was a rude shock. Um, Jeez. First, first pro race. <clears throat> first pro race. Um, I was doing efforts up and down the hill in Drona, and I was struggling to hold 300 watts for five minutes. Um, now, that's, as a pro, that's pretty shit. Um, yeah. So, uh it was a struggle all the way until I saw a bit of light at the end of the tunnel coming in like that midway California. So like late May, um, then Dauphiné just massive purple patch, which threw me into, um, the yellow there and, uh, top 10 overall. And it sort of threw me into the whole, you could be GC. Um, zero also, to hero kind of story. <clears throat> yeah, like straight up. Like so, I've gone from getting first dropped, year, first year, getting dropped at California, to getting third in the time trial there, to getting I think thirteenth in Diablo stage, um, to then getting top ten at Dauphiné, and wearing the yellow, getting a second place in the time trial, beating through me. I'm like, oh, this is great, right? So everyone's banging on about how good I could be and all this sort of crap. You, you buy into it. Um, I go to the Tour de France. Biggest mistake. Your first year. Your <clears throat> first year you went to the Tour. Yeah, biggest mistake. Um, so I've wow. gone there because this is a team time trial on stage four. So stage one, I crash. Like, hard. Um, that was uh, – but I took no skin off, really, and I'm like, oh, that's not good. So in the end, I sort of like – and I still – every now and then I get the same issue is I get this shooting pain down into my left calf muscle. Um, and I've always been told it's like my low back glute, uh, sort of sciatic nerve sort of thing. Um, but that I had to pull out after stage eight and go home. 
Um, and I was absolutely useless for basically the whole tour, the, the whole, every stage I was there. Um, but then uh, my next race was San Sebastian and then uh, Utah, Colorado, and then Alberta. I've gone to Alberta and I'm like, I've just had a massive block at altitude and I was just flying again. So I won that and then I went to Worlds and just bombed out again. <laughs> just everything went wrong. I was just creeping. I, I lost the time trial. I was 12 in the time trial, three minutes down. Like three minutes down on the time trial, um, flat time trial. I was like, oh my God, I suck. Um, but I was like, okay, I want to be a time trialer and do GC sort of stuff. So I was really down that route. Um, and honestly, I, I, it was more time trialing. So it got really frustrating. And I didn't win my first pro TT until 2015, which was the tour the first stage of the tour. Um, and oh, that was a rude shock again. Uh, then, then it sort of, everything was uh, not back onto the GC train, but still, I, if I pick up my climbing, I can win tours because I'm also great at time trolling. And that sort of got my head thinking about GC Long story short, I tried it out. Wasn't really my thing. I didn't like the lifestyle of it all. So I just went straight back to time trialing um, and trying to help others win grand tours and whatnot, which is really what in the end brought me to what happened in Jiro this year with uh, Teo. Um, really pinpointing certain days where I can be very good to help out the leader and and the rest of the time really just doing little things here and there to help out other guys who are better on that sort of terrain to help out or like in a sprint finish I, i'm not a huge fan of getting involved with sprints so um i do the early stuff when it comes to sprints uh, sprint sprint stages and then i just get out of there um so it, it really got to the point where what do I enjoy the most? Time trolling, some one-week tours, and and I actually get a bit of a kick out of seeing teammates who I've really, really had a huge part of um, their wins or, or their performances is something that I've found to be just as rewarding as uh, me winning, um, which is weird. It's something that it's not normal, I would say, for someone who enjoys winning is to um, feel like they've they've getting as much out of someone else winning as long as they were a part of it as well. So that's a real condensed sort of uh, progress from when I first started. But yeah, it's uh, it's been an eight year program uh, process to be honest with you. Hello. Hey, man. Can Hello. You hear me? Yep, that's yeah. better. Ah, uh, sorry, I don't know what happened there. No stress. Uh, Did you? Could you hear me when I was talking? Or 
Yeah, cool. I could totally, I could hear you the whole time. Uh, and it was great. So, I mean, I heard you, you know, say everything about, uh, you know, you're like, oh, summing up that. And uh, I was just about to ask you is, so like we were talking about going through these different teams and different environments, do you think that's what makes so, I mean, Ineos so great, so great and so forward thinking is that they are, they kind of started seeing riders as, you know, hey, let's use this guy for this, you know, specific tool or this specific job. Whereas it sounded like, you know, your power and strength was from the TT and went from an early age and everything. And people saw that and wanted to morph you. And it feels like kind of you're saying is like Ineos hasn't tried morphing you. They've just allowed you to just do your job. Yeah. Which was, which is a huge part of actually, because um, like it's, it's something that uh, they, they really sort of, they took a, a back seat a little bit in 2020 and sort of just watched, um, didn't try to change too much. They, that for yourself, they were, for yourself, of, yeah, what? as in like they just sort of let me let me do my own train, not my own training, but it was different training to what they would normally they would normally prescribe someone. Um, in what way? In it was a lot less. Um, it was a lot more intense, a lot, a lot less. I didn't do as much volume as a lot of the other guys. And I think it stressed, <laughs> stressed them out or worried them a little bit, but mm-hmm. they didn't step in and, and really sort of intervene either because it had worked in the past. So they, 2020 was a bit of a, uh, let's see how it goes here. I feel, uh, and I think there was still some, I needed I need to do more of what their their sort of their sort of training, which is longer, longer, more volume, but not lose that um, intensity as well. Hello. Uh, yeah. So I, basically, it's it's basically the whole. I need to do more volume. Yeah. But but not lose that intensity as well. So it's a bit of give and take now. Finding um, with them. Yeah, that balance, which is um. I don't mind doing it all. Uh, it's, it's something that's not a problem for me. Um, and it's once you get into the, the routine of doing longer days and whatnot, it's actually becomes quite normal. A three, four hour day is, is actually pr- goes pretty quick. Uh, mm-hmm. Yes, I had five hours um, and it actually didn't feel like a long day at all. It went really fast. So uh, it's, it's something that both Ineos and myself have learnt a lot over the last year, and and it sort of surprised them as well that what I did at the Giro was actually possible on such little training to what they normally would expect from from somebody who who does things in the mountains late in the stages as well. So and late in the Grand Tour. Um, I'm not sure why. I think it's also probably a little bit of a, a mindset. Okay, cool. Um, I can do something now. I have to help out. Uh, also, I joked about uh, on the Stelvio stage, actually just before the Stelvio stage, I joked about the first two weeks being training. Uh, <laughs> uh, 
wasn't oh. complete. Like it was a little bit of a joke, but it wasn't completely a joke um, because it did it did feel like that first two weeks. I was I was just getting better and better. I had a bit of a base, but that length and that distance wasn't quite there, and I could feel it coming day by day. And especially in that in that second week, I was like, oh. This is coming good. Um, I, yeah. I, I mean, yeah, I think with everyone training so much volume and so big, and then you have yourself, do you, that probably helps you stay just, I feel like, recovered better uh, and also maybe last longer in the sense of all these guys are just pounding and pounding and pounding and pounding all these <clears throat> hours, all these hours. Well, you're focusing mainly on more specific areas. Uh, and I mean, I feel like it's going to help you throughout your, you know, just I feel like it would technically allow you to have a longer, you know, career because you're not, because like I said, I feel like now the hours of training is just getting ridiculously high for pros. And that, this is going to shock a lot of people who, but during the lockdown, I was doing six to ten hours <laughs> really a week a week um but specific hours I, or... it was dead set it was just like one to two days all in yeah a day off maybe two days off and i'm talking like one to two hours on the trainer um but you I, had I guys did... this year training six hours on the train <clears throat> day five hours on the trainer like yeah. again i feel like that's gonna they're going into these if they do that every year build that up build that up like eventually the body i feel like won't be able to sustain that where is if you've done what you've done and just focus on very specific stuff and not crushing your body because that's what the majority is doing then i feel like it would have some have you talked about that with your coach because i know your coach uh is neil, <clears throat> neil yeah right yeah neil yeah so the whole the whole idea of us doing very specific work during lockdown was to just to nail down that power, but not, not cook me because we didn't know when it was going to end. So that was seven, eight weeks of trainer. Like there's no outdoor, we, we weren't allowed outside for seven, eight weeks. So um, like legally we weren't allowed to leave unless it was for getting petrol, going to supermarket, going to the pharmacy or hospital. Yeah. I had friends over there in Girona who got like $600 tickets for just walking like Taylor. Taylor got a $600 ticket. Yeah. There was someone <laughs> who got a ticket for uh, standing outside of their, um, at the front of their apartment block because they didn't have any sun in their apartment. They didn't see like actual sun. So they were getting weeks. the sun done. Sort of like, I just need to get outside and, and get some sun today just for like 10 minutes and they stood out the front of their apartment on the sidewalk and a cop saw them, gave them a 600 euro ticket wow. because they wow. were going to the supermarket or, or something. And they're just like, I just wanted to get out of the apartment. I was locked in there. And some people have 40, 50, 60 square meter apartments, which is tiny. Yeah. Um, and, and it was one of those things where, Neil was like, okay, let's not try cook you. Let's try really be very specific. And it did, I did suffer after that. Like when we're on the, I did road rides, I'd have to stop every hour and a half, two hours just because my back wasn't able to do it. 
I'd have to stop, stretch it out, crack my back. I felt like I was 50. Um, and honestly, it took months to come back to where I should be for a four or five hour ride. And, but when I did get there, I wasn't cooked. Whereas other guys, um, I feel like maybe some guys who are doing 25 to 35 hour weeks for seven, eight weeks on the trainer, um, by the time they got to the road, they're like, oh, God, why would I want to do this anymore? And it sort of just their head fell off a little bit. Not initially, but maybe after a couple of weeks, they're like, this sucks. Well, I've just been training my ass off and now I've still got eight, ten weeks until my first race. Yeah. Um, so it was a different way. It was a gamble. For sure, it was a gamble um, on my behalf. But it was also... You think that was um, security, though, as well? Oh, it, it definitely... I went stir crazy at the same time as everyone sort of saw. Um, <laughs> but that's, that's sort of, um, so everyone. yeah, I think it's, it, I was just a little bit more open about it, which is whether someone agrees with it or not, it was just something that I, um, well, I did. And uh, yeah, I think that was also another thing that the team was really good about. They, they understood that. Um, it wasn't natural for someone to be locked up for that long who wasn't in jail. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> to be honest yeah. with you. So it was, um, it was understood. Obviously they said, look, it wasn't ideal. Well, we would have preferred you didn't do that. Um, and let's try not do that again. Uh, but it was no, uh, telling me off like a, you're a naughty boy and, and whatnot. It was, it was Thank obvious you. that what I did was not, liked um and i was like okay noted learnt move forward there was no dwelling on it there was no um repercussions for months on end because i was naughty for a one hour of my life or whatnot it was it was a real understanding that i was a human which is something that's not normal um in professional sport and not normal in the in the um public eye when it what they think of Ineos or um or Sky in the past or or whatever they always look at us as very structured very robotic and everything it's it's the first uh team I felt like really treats you like a human 99.9 percent of the time that's so because, like you said, the world sees this, you know, unhuman, un, you know, robotic. This just robotic kind of structure. And Sky even had the, you know, the Death Star bus, <laughs> you know. And it was funny. I was talking to Mick Rogers, and he said the same thing about Sky, like in yeah. that whole Ineos, <laughs> the, the grouping. He said it was. Like when he, he was there with Wiggins that year or, uh, you know, they were just friends. They were just enjoying, they had found a comfort. And again, like, I think he was doing just his job. Like they had hired him to do his job just like yourself. And like, I think that takes a whole lot of stress off you, yourself to be like, okay, they're, you know, they're expecting me to win a race this year. And you're just like, whereas you know, now they're just saying, hey, we just need you to do this job, this, you know, this, this, this. And uh, it, it is so funny hearing 
the riders inside the team be like, no, this actually the environment's really great. Whereas people from the outside view it as like this dark, um, you know, uh, stormtrooper type thing. Yeah. And, and what you touched on earlier about Tour of Britain, it was quite a fun tour. Um, um, Rick Zobel, just... Taylor, oh. me, yeah. you. Oh, Honestly, what's... it's exactly like, so a lot of people ask me, they go, oh, how shit was, I, I'm going to say, it, how shit was Bahrain? I go, look, it wasn't all that bad. It was honestly, there, and it's the same for Garmin, it's the same for BMC. Um, there were glimpses of the exact same mentality. There was the same uh, feeling, the teams, but it wasn't at every race. Exactly. It's just something that Ineos has nailed where not like, okay, there's some points where it's a little bit tense sometimes. Things don't go perfectly, but that's everyday life. Yeah. But most of the time you have that environment of it's fun. You're there to work. Everyone's serious when they need to be serious, but there's when you're at a dinner table or when you're on the bus or even in the race, if it's a, like a relaxed part, you're mm-hmm. joking around. You have fun. It's not. There's no point trying to be a drone. You're not a drone. Um, mm. And there was glimpses of uh, of that exact feeling in every single team, including Bahrain. So it's it's just more prominent, more regular in Ineos than any other team I've been in, which is why I love it so much. It's it's a fun environment where. Uh, we already put pressure on ourselves to perform. So they don't put more pressure on us because they know we're already wanting to do good. They don't hire us unless they know that we're that type of person who wants to be good. They don't just hire <laughs> flat out <laughs> lazy, lazy people. They, they hire people who want to be good. So they know if we put them in a fun environment, they're still going to perform. Yeah, they're not going to get lazy and be like, "Ah, oh, this is a cushion job now." No, no. Yeah, this is I, this is a job. <laughs> you do it. <laughs> so yeah. yeah, I found that kind of funny. You know, while racing, that vibe of like, you would kind of get from the team or like, oh, maybe they don't want to win anymore. They don't want to. What you think <clears throat> I'm living over here in Europe all the way from? I could be at home kicking it. This, this. You think I'm doing all this over here? Because I like getting my head kicked in. You think I like losing? You think I like showing up to these races and losing? Sucking? Like, you think that's why I'm showing up? You don't think I'm going back and hating it and, like, trying to train harder and trying to get better? And then, you know, it, it's like you said, once you can kind of find a team that respects that atmosphere and realizes, like, no, these are professional athletes. They don't like to lose. Like, nobody I've met likes to lose. You know, it's like once you kind of find people that uh, I feel like an environment like that, that's phenomenal. It's, it's the best feeling, you know, if you go there, everyone's, everyone's there to try to win, but there's no point stressing if you don't. Okay. Yeah. Shit happens. G crashed out of the Giro. And there was some, like, even that day I was like, oh, this sucks. Like this sucks. Like, and I, I cracked a little bit, not like angrily, but like mentally, On that just, day. I just gave up a little bit that day. Like when he got dropped, I gave up a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. But the next day, we're like, okay, change the mindset. G's gone. There's no point worrying about it anymore. 
we were still laughing at dinner that night. We still had a laugh on the bus when he told us, look, I'm not starting today. I made a bit of a joke with him. Um, may as well, right? Always, you always do. May as well have some fun about it. Like, take the piss a little bit. But, yeah, okay. It's like, otherwise, you're just all doom and gloom. And then, you know, okay, change change tactic and let's go. Uh, so, it's... Was it's, it KO after that? Was it, or was yeah, it... Yeah, yeah. I was... It was honestly on the bus. Um, Dave Rouse was at the Giro for the first two weeks or so. Um, and he just said, okay, guys, no point worrying about G anymore because he's not here. Like, right? He's still in the bus, obviously, he's like, but he's not racing anymore. This is something that's a huge opportunity for everybody. We're usually a team that is very um, focused on GC, but hey, now we've got 17, I think 17 or 18 stages left. Let's do 17 one-day races. And I was, I was in the bus and I'm like, oh, yeah, this, this is going to suck, <laughs> right? This is absolutely going to suck because one-day race by itself is hard. Um, imagine racing 17 in a row. Exactly. exactly. And it kind of puts the pressure then on every single person rather than just for you to just do your job for that one GC rider. Well, it was a bit of, a, okay, what, what stages suit you? What's it? And we sort mm-hmm. of pinpointed stages for each person. We're going to work for this person today. You get in the break or we're going to do this for you. Um, Taylor was always going to have support for anybody who wasn't uh, helping the person who was trying to win or if there was a break. Whoever didn't make the break was there for Taylor. But mm-hmm. it was we raced as 17 one-day races until until stage uh, 19. And then uh, that was the day after Stelvio. Obviously, then we're like, wow, I, okay, Teo's third on GC. <laughs> we probably should start doing something more for GC again. And then uh, stage 19 was the day that got shortened. Stage 20 was Sestriere, and that was the one day that we obviously went all in for GC. Nuts. Yeah, you went nuts. And then it was the time trial. So it really, it was just a different mindset, and it was put in from top down, and we just, we bought into it and went for it and and had fun. It was the amount of, the amount of fun we had at uh, pre and post stages, even if it didn't end well, like we didn't win every stage. We won a lot, but there were stages where things didn't go everything to plan. And we're like, Oh, Mm -hmm. (laughs) let's have a laugh. Right. There was Mm -hmm. some mum, there was, Oh, like mum jokes or all that sort of crap. Like everything, like it didn't matter. Nobody was, nobody was safe. Um, And that's what made it fun because it was, Oh, like, I'm not safe. You're not safe. As in like when we're having a joke and it was all lighthearted. It was, there was no, there's never a, a personal, like real harsh personal attacks. It was just a great group of guys just racing their bike. And it may or may not trickle down into other races from here on. I think it's changed their mindset a little bit of how we go about GC. Um, but only time will tell, I guess. Uh, yeah. yeah, it's. I think that whole that environment will still be there. It just might be in a different, um, different tactic. Obviously, when we do race again. Mm-hmm. 
No, that was so amazing to watch. And just so uh, – the Giro is just – this year was so unpredictable. And like you said, it felt like almost everyone was kind of then just seeing where it went. And uh, what – were you given – were you even – were you helping Teo? I mean, he's young. he's a year younger than me. Were you, did, is he – what's he like? Is he, you know – did did you ever feel like you gave him some good like you know for this final TT did you ever did you talk to him about TT or is he just already got like you just let him he knew what he was doing I just let him do what his thing like do his own thing I had pretty good faith in the fact that he was going to win that not win it but win the TT over Jai um, yeah I I felt like if you put more stress on somebody and make them think about it too much then it'll go yeah. the opposite way. So he was out doing recon with Garner. Um, I didn't do the recon with him. I thought if he wants to get advice, Garner's also quite a good option. Uh, yeah, obviously. <laughs> uh, but there was, I saw a huge change from start to finish with Teo during the Giro. He's obviously never been in the leadership role, especially in a Grand Tour. Um, he has been in other one-week races and whatnot. But I saw a, a huge difference from when G obviously crashed out the, the following days of us trying to help him and he's not used to having the help. So he'd do things as like himself. So he'd mm-hmm. be wasting energy and it was a process of, mate, we're here to help you. Um, obviously if I'm not doing my own thing in a breakaway or Swifty or Puccio or Garner's not in the break, then we're here to help you use us. Um, mm-hmm. So it took probably a week and a half before he really started to just purely use us. And in a way, it was us getting his trust, which is 100% um, That's what understandable. It is. And, but it was just drilling that in, mate. Whatever you need, just tell us. Don't move up without us. Even in the race, I'd, be, I'd yell, like, Tao, what are you doing? Obviously, it's a nice version. Um, <laughs> yeah. But... Uh, I'd be like, let me do it. Let me do it. Just stay there. Let me come up. I'll do it. Um, don't sit in the wind. I'll sit in the wind for you. Whatever it is, I'll move you up. Just sit on my wheel. And then obviously it became very obvious that the trust was there come stage 19 and 20, and sorry, 18 and 20 um, with the team where he just sat on us. He's like, okay. Let's go, like, use us as much as possible and then get his thing in the finish. So it was, um, I think it was, like, no one expected that uh, yeah. to happen. And it, like, at all. Yeah. At all. Not even himself. I, I doubt, I'm sure he knew that he had good form, but even when I'm in good form, you just don't feel like you are... Winning the Giro. You're going to win the just... Giro. Even a one-week tour, you're like, oh, yeah, I feel good. And all of a sudden, you're in the box seat going, shit. <laughs> How'd I get here? This is crazy. I'm leading uh, or I'm about to win this. So um, there was a huge, I think, a huge learning curve for him and us and as a team. It's, it's like I said, it's a completely different way to racing as what we would normally do in a grand tour in this team. So, um and it still worked out. Yeah, it still worked out perfectly. Obviously, it's an exceptional year. A lot of things. Um, there's a lot of guys who either went home sick or crashed out or whatever. Mm-hmm. But 
you can't take that anything away from someone who wins because they were still able to outperform. They were there. The people yeah. who did get sick, people still get sick every other year. Um, yeah. Or crash out every other mm-hmm. year. So uh, he was the last man standing. He was the best guy at the Giro. That's it. That <laughs> sort of thing. Yeah. It's so great that the first time I met Teo uh, was at the 2012 Worlds, and he was a junior, a 17 year old. And uh, we were at the same hotel. And uh, we were at the buffet and he came up and we were talking, but like, that's just, it's, to me, it's just insane seeing that guy then went on, go on to win, you know, the biggest race, you know, if, you know, the second biggest race maybe to the tour, but it was just amazing. Incredible to just see, I love the racing this year. I felt like it was very open and very, I don't know, aggressive and on it and authentic and not kind of played out. Uh, it was even it was a, a new storyline. I felt like every day, which yeah. is really exciting for racing. Uh, I mean, with you, yeah, you worked so you switching over to Ineos and really focusing on that kind of more team role and everything like that. But I also know you, your big goals are the Olympics. You know, you love the Olympics. What was you still? Was it's looking? What's it looking like preparing for Tokyo? Well, we don't know what's going to happen with it yet. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, honestly, the the new potential rules of the fourteen days before really throws the spanner into works. Um, it rules. What out. are the? Uh, there's a fourteen day quarantine uh, when you get there. Not, I don't think it's a lockdown quarantine, but you have to self isolate in your bubble. Um, but you have to be there fourteen days before your event uh, was rumored or put out that. A week ago now or so. Okay. Um, which rules out the Tour de France if I wanted to go there. Um, obviously, it still is only January and they're, they're going to be probably reviewing it and how their numbers in Tokyo are going come the end mm-hmm. of January, March sort of time. Um, what vaccine like and stuff like that. Yeah, and how, how the numbers are and if they, um, they still want the Olympics is another thing. Um so crazy. So, so it's it's a real thing of um, make a decision early, I guess, and mm-hmm. stick to it because there's I find there's nothing worse in my life if I'm unsure about what I'm doing leading into a huge event. So I could be preparing full gas for Olympics, like I was preparing full gas for Worlds um, in 2020, and all of a sudden they said, you know what, it's cancelled. You're like what 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 are you talking about it's cancelled yeah and then they change the course and it sort of just throws you off a little bit and you're like oh my god what am i doing am i going to go all in for the Giro now am i going to go all in for the the, uh, world still so it really really it didn't sit well with me in 2020 so i've said to um basically everybody close i'll make a call on what the uh um, restrictions are um and what we're going to do come around march and and we'll just see you know if if the tour de france is something that i really want to do and there's a 14 day quarantine uh, sort of isolation thing then 
I'm going all in for the tour. Um, yeah. If if they drop that, I, I still believe the tour is the best prep for for Tokyo, and I'd love to do both. Um, nice. Then that was the original plan uh, to try and make the tour team work for the teammates and and try help mm. a teammate win the Tour de France, and then and then there's still 11 days or 10, 11 days to the time trial and, and then recover and get ready for the time trial. So I think it's, it's going to be a decision I make early on where it's not. Uh, and if, if they say there's a 14 day quarantine, then they change it in June. Well, I've made my decision. Um, mm-hmm. I can't, I can't be changing my decision now and then taking that position away from someone else who's hundred percent dedicated their time to Tokyo, um, mm-hmm. live with the decision and, and go forward. Uh, so yeah, I think that's just something that's going to be a little bit up in the air until uh, probably another couple of months now and then, and then make the decision and, and live with it. Dude, I love it. Just, yeah. Okay, if, if I make the wrong decision, it's like, oh, well, I'm sure I'll find some good out of the tour or uh, I'm sure I could have found some good out of doing the tour and Olympics shit. Um, but there's no point worrying about it. And okay. If it's not the perfect decision, no one had a crystal ball. It's what you decided on the day and, and that's it. Yeah. I mean, you never know what's going to be the perfect decision. You might make what you think is the perfect decision and then it ends up, you know, Mate, if being careful. If we you all knew the perfect decision, we'd all be billionaires <laughs> because we could play the stock market every day. <laughs> yeah, we want to be, you know what I mean? Like, uh, no, it's I I totally agree. It's just about seeing, and I think that's the biggest lesson we all should have learned from 2020. If we hadn't, is just day by day. You don't know what's gonna happen tomorrow or the next day. So it's like you can just do what you can do today. Focus on your decision that you're doing today, and you know like just see how things roll because it's so much uncertainty right now in the world that uh, if you allow yourself to get caught up with all the distractions of the world, you'll definitely lose your, you know, <laughs> you'd lose your mind for sure. But I did no, man. <laughs> <laughs> so did the majority of the world. That's for sure. That's for sure. But uh... no, man, I, I don't want to take up too much of your time. It's already been uh, an hour. It's crazy. It flew by. I, I'm super stoked with this podcast and this conversation. It's been great. Uh, yeah, it's been – I can't wait for a lot of people to hear this, a lot of young athletes who listen to this. And uh, just because, like I said, I think you really give a real honest and real approach to what you do and what you know what you've been through where – uh, not everyone does that, and a lot of people kind of always show the the hype or their best self all the time. And it's like you're not afraid to show what's behind the scenes, you know. Uh, it's, or talk it's got about what it's got me into trouble in the past, but in the end, it's made the right people happy with me. Well, and that's the only way to to grow and move forward. If you're not making mistakes, you're not learning to move forward. You yeah. know what I mean? If you're not learning oh if you're not learning where the wall is or where someone can be like oh hey no that you're at the edge now you have to push this way or this way it's like if you just sit still all the time you're never gonna grow or learn as a human ever you know and so it's like if you sometimes you make a mistake and someone's like hey man 
you, you screwed up here, you know, okay, yeah, I've learned now, you know, I can grow forward from that. But I think a lot of people are so nervous about just making that first kind of step forward or seeing who they are, are or even expressing their personality and their voice now has become, you know, social media, what used to be a very expressive and free market and way of I almost journaling is now such a political issue and place where you can't just go on there and be 100% authentic yourself. You have to be cautious, like, oh, man, is this going to hurt someone? Is this going to offend someone? And, like, it's it's so crazy that it's people think so deeply into that now. It's like, honestly, we're going to get hurt to grow, you know? It's, we have to be yeah. told you can't do that or you can't do this, you, you know? <laughs> Not everyone's going to love you, no matter, yeah. no matter what you do. You can give away all your money to charity and people will still say that you did that just because you want to make sure you, people think you, you're a good person and it's all fake. And it, exactly. So that's perfect. So, <laughs> right? You said that. Uh, also, right when I met you or around when I stagiated with BMC, I remember Jim Ockwitz was like, you know, I felt like all my years on BMC, I was trying to be the perfect BMC child and like look and image. And then as soon as he told me like, hey, you're going to stagiate, but we're not going to sign you. I was like, well, okay, perfect. Like, I don't have to hide myself anymore. I don't have to be who you think, you know, I don't have to play these rules anymore. And that, and then I met you at Tour Britain and everything. And it just helps you realize, like, the more real and authentic you are, the more you'll start to find <clears> your <throat> place in this fake. world. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that for real. Be. So, no, my man, I, I appreciate your time and I uh, wish you just, yeah tons of uh good vibes and good luck and lots of love for your thanks, family man. and health and uh I appreciate it thanks so it's much good man. Chat. so awesome yeah Sounds thanks, thanks we'll talk to you later man <laughs> all right